and welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we are analyzing aliens in short, controlled bursts. I'm John Ingle. And I'm Jason Heck, and we are tackling Minute 44, which begins with Hicks continuing to check out the facehugger and ends with Frost thinking they've got something. And hey, I'm here too. I'm here too. <laughs> I was was a little late coming in there. Sorry about that. Man, we're just going to wake up John Ingle for the podcast and turn it over to Sully. Is the drop over? Are we on the planet's surface? Um, This is is quite a rehearsal. John is still in hibernation right now. He's still flooded with uh, Josie from from the original Alien. But um, I'll introduce myself because I've only done 1,700 podcasts in my life. I think I can handle it. Um, I'm, my name is Paul Francis Sullivan. You can call me Sully. I'm the host of the Sully Baseball Podcast, and I've done a lot of uh, a lot of baseball stuff, whether it's on HBO Sports or anything like that. I'm a TV producer, and a little known fact: I'm the director of Alien. Oh my God! Yeah. Wait, what? Yeah. All right, okay. That last credit I made up. I was just trying to see if you were awake, John, but uh, which I've, which I'm still not convinced either way. So we've got this amazing start to this minute. And what we've got is Corporal Hicks, who is so far the most humanized of the Marines, the one who seems to be swinging the least dick, who is the least cocky, who is empathizing the most with Ripley. He's right next to our corporate hack, our shill. And they're having a little look and they're seeing something pretty horrifying in this in this container full of suspenser fluid or water or whatever. And John, why don't you tell them what happens? Well, um, yeah, so Burke, well, I don't know. Sully, I feel like you had something to say about Burke here. Maybe that's a little bit before what I was going to say. Well, I, I think that this is this is a, one of these sequences that um, becomes more compelling on a second viewing. Because on the first viewing, he's kind of like, oh, man, this is scary. Oh, my God, you were telling the truth. Oh, my God, this is all right. But on on repeated viewing, especially when he looks at it, and then around uh, around six or seven, he looks back and and confirms it with with Ripley. There's a sense of yeah, this is this is it. This is what we've come for. I'm you were right. This is exactly what you saw. And when you watch it again, you know this puts into motion all the terrible things that he does later. They're like, okay, we're going to make we're going to turn this, which was going to be his legacy of disaster into my legacy of getting filthy, filthy rich. Yeah, there's there's more than terror in his look, isn't there? There's there's a fascination and there's something else. Yeah, and I think you see that on multiple viewings. On the first viewing, it's simply, oh my God, it's real. It's a haunted house moment. But there's a lot going on here in, in, in his exchange with Ripley that is subtle and that works on several different levels. And shows that his character is not a cartoon bad guy. It's one of the things I like about his performance. He's a greedy guy. Yeah. And and this is his greed kicking in here. This is real. This is real capitalism versus humanity going on here. Like all these people are dead. All these Marines could be dead. But in the and all the people that Ripley dealt with are dead. But in in, in the end. There is a price. What is he said later when they when she was going to talk about nuking it? There is a price tag. There, there is a cost of you know, system here. Isn't it interesting, in line with your observation, how Ripley stays plenty far away and he steps right up to inspect it like a guy who's just bought a new horse? Yeah, yeah. He's 
he's looking at it like, okay, this is it. This is, all right, I'm, I got my ticket punched. And Ripley stands well back and, in fact, warns him not to get too close, which we yeah. can read We can read some stuff in there, too. Yeah, and you see the, uh, by the way, this is a great Stan Winston creation here. And I think one of these things that looks amazing on camera, partly because of how it looks, partly because of the context of the scene, partly because of how it's lit and shot and Ray Lovejoy's great editing, um, and I bet it's one of those things that if you saw it on set, it would look like the dumbest thing in the world. Yeah, probably, yeah. Probably two guys shaking it on either side and like, oh boy, what is this? But when you see it in the movie, you it, know, it, it looks it's it, it looks disturbing. It looks vaginal and and phallic at the same time. You know, it's really, it's, 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 it's disturbing. And that look after, you know, Riser gives like the look back and he gives like a second look like, like, yeah, he kind of looks at Hicks and this though you have the love at first sight line that he gives. But there's this you know, this there's a lot going on in terms of wheels turning and I think Paul Reiser's performance in this is really wonderful in that it's not over the top, he's not twirling mm. his mustache. It's just sinister in a very subdued way. S- subdued yeah. sinister. Yeah, I had this I had the same note as you, Sully, about um I actually have written down that he's got what Jerry Porter over at Indiana Jones minute refers to as gold lust. Like yeah. when he first sees, we first sees them. Yeah. The dollar bills like light up in his eyes and, and he moves in and I don't even know. Yeah, you're right. When I used to watch this movie, I, I assumed he was timid. He was scared of it. I didn't understand why he was even getting close to it. But now that I look at it, I don't think he's really that scared at all. He, no. d- he actually seems to take pleasure in the fact that it jabs at him through the oh. glass. He seems to find that exhilarating, and and it's like increased value. You know, this this thing is – look how unique this thing is. He's thinking, like, this is clearly going to be something that's going to make me rich. So, yeah, I think that's really what this this whole moment is about. And the other aspect I mean, that I touched on before is he's turning a loss into a win. That this colony is a loss. This colony is a disaster, and that's on him because of the decision that he made. And we learn in that scene mm. later on. But with this, it's like, okay, this is the biggest disaster of my life, and I'm about to turn it to a win. Yeah. And I think there's, and and that is, but I can't show my cards. I can't say, I can't start doing. I can't turn to Walter Houston in the the was it in the. Uh, uh, start doing the little prospector dance but um (laughs) but that's in his mind he's doing the prospector dance oh my god you're giving me you just gave me such a strange like alternate image of this scene yeah paul reiser doing the walter houston dance boy that would have been that's a sentence you didn't think you were gonna say today right Well, and we also get a look at exactly how much contempt the Marines have for him when when Hicks makes his remark about looks like love at first sight to me. Again, he really doesn't think much of this guy from from the company. But you see, all. the line could go either way, right? Like he's saying, you the assumption, of course, and what Hicks really means is, oh, it's love at first sight. The face hugger loves uh, Burke, but you could also read into the subtext that he's actually talking to Burke about yeah. the face hugger, huh. right? Yeah. So. That's why I kind of hate the ADR line that comes right after it. It's just such an obnoxious moment where this off-screen ADR line comes in where Hicks says, oh, yeah, it likes you. It's like, why would you just step on your line? Like, not only is it redundant, yeah. if you're looking at the, the basic text of the line saying, okay, yeah, Hicks is teasing him, then it's just a second line of teasing. But if there is the subtext that, you know, I'm, I'm guessing there is, it kind of steps on that. So I, I – that ADR line makes no sense to me, and it never makes sense to me why ADR lines like that get in there. That's such a blatant decision. Like, 
You have to really put a lot of thought into deciding to put an ADR line in like that. So I don't understand that one at all. It's kind of a fumble. But or maybe it was a st- Maybe it was a studio note that they said, well, we'll put that one in, but we'll save us something else later. I don't know. Maybe it was a a concession. Well, two observations here. One, we get to see Bishop again taking charge a little bit and being very competent. He finds the medical records. He is clearly this, and he's very calm, right? You have Lance Hendrickson, who's this very soothing presence, this very melodious low voice. And he's kind of there, and he diffuses the tension a little bit by uh, by kind of just, oh, I'll look at these medical records, and this is a little bit less sinister. But to John's point, there are multiple facehuggers there, and facehuggers only come out of the egg if there's a human being, so how many are there? There are like four, two, oh, as you say, two alive, the rest are dead. There's five total in there, right? Or at least that we can see. So, yes. so we had five people who went in that ship and got and got jacked by the facehuggers. That's a lot. I mean, the assumption is that they, you know, unfortunately, because of the director's cut, we know that it's Newt's dad that gets the facehugger first, right? But let's right. say that that's let's just take that out since we don't see it in our version. We can uh, decide for ourselves. I mean, I'm guessing that somebody went on the ship and brought eggs back, right? Like, oh my God, what is this? Let's bring it back and look at it. Let's take it to the med bay. Let's experiment. I mean, things like that could have caused to me. That could have been more interesting of a movie, or for solely for your Hadley's Hope uh, <laughs> re. re- boot movie idea that would be a little bit more interesting than just that family going on because once you get that face hugger on your you get one guy with a face hugger what are you gonna do what what are they doing going getting more or even going back into the ship i don't i don't know and then keeping them as specimen we could have david the colony's malevolent android lead everybody back on board <laughs> right, the ship couldn't we wouldn't that of be course. fun? And then old man yeah, yeah old man guy pierce can come out and uh, make all these <laughs> terrible decisions I just, I just, the idea, because the eggs we know are sort of, you have to be close. It's like a proximity kind of sensor. How the hell do five people get, get face hugged? That's just, something must have gone horribly, horribly wrong. Or they had like a colony of total dumbbells or something. It's like, well, we, Bill didn't come out of there. Well, give me the flashlight. I'll go look for him. (laughs) Ted went in looking for Bill and he didn't come out. Do we have another flashlight? No, take this kerosene lantern. Huh, Ted disappeared. Where's Jerry? I better go in and look for him. And finally, someone's like, "Okay, wait, wait, just a goddamn minute. Let's let's figure out what's going on." But it's I, I don't get how five people had got got face hugged. I still don't get. Well, that. maybe the maybe the Hadley's Hope reboot movie will be like a Zucker Abrams joint. Like maybe it'll just be that completely ridiculous slapstick kind of an idea that you just described. I want to right Alien Part Two or something. Right. I want to be a Coen Brothers. That's what I want to be a Coen Brothers. Like you know, going full on raising Arizona. You know. Uh, you know, or a Sam, or a Sam Raimi joint, make a go go kind of a burn, go evil dead. like a burn after right, face hugging. Exactly. Like I would, I would absolutely watch that. Maybe movie. yeah, maybe Coen Brothers do it. Steve Buscemi plays all five roles of all five people that go in to get. Fa- it's just like completely absurd decision making. I don't know, but I, there is the possibility, I guess, that they went in and extracted face huggers from eggs. That's possible, right? Uh, I I guess. I mean, we know that that clearly that that. That well, we find out later that that Burke turned them onto this thing, and and we know that the colony, you know, if they're in a lab, clearly they were brought back and put in stasis for for whatever. So there was some sort of science that was involved. I don't know if it was an actual expedition that went out with you know tongs and and trash can lids and and really tried to try to to go for it. But like I said, it, it, for five people to have gotten face hugged, it's like everything went wrong, everything. 
that's just my opinion as as a guy who's seen the movie a hundred or so times. I don't pretend to be in Jim Cameron's head. But I love I love the addition of a couple of Terminator veterans in um, Michael Bane and uh, Lance Henriksen in this film, and you know Henriksen was in had small parts in Right Stuff and Close Encounters before this, so he kind of was making his name of being a calm voice of reason in science fiction or space related movies. But uh, he's so good at this, especially because he has the burden of, of you know, taking over what we thought of androids regarding Ash in the first film, and that that uh, Ripley does not trust him at all, and so he has to he has to be a thousand times more trustworthy. He has to be right on the ball, and and this is a great yeah. He's gets let's get down to business. Who died? Who's here? What's what happened? Let's this is mysterious. So let's solve the mystery. And I think that that. Right. That's that's why he's along. Right. That's you know, he's he's our support guy. He drives our APC. He helps get stuff ready. He helps maintain our gear. And, and now he's the fact that you chose Lance Henriksen. Right. The fact that you picked this guy with this amazing stentorian soothing voice. His voice is it's it's like a velvet cudgel. It's so relaxing and so mellow. I mean, even in Terminator, when he's, you know, popping off like a wise ass to, to Paul Winfield, he's still he's still got a great voice. And in this, as 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 our guy who is part of a species that has been proven to be incredibly untrustworthy in Ripley's eyes, he's got to be so much more than that. He's got to be soothing and competent, and he's got to sort of redeem his entire robot race in her eyes, and he's got to do it in an interesting way that's central to the movie, and boy does he. I think he's just such a cool character and a great a great choice as yeah, an actor. Yeah, and we're back in that territory again like we were before where we do need some exposition here, but we need it quick and to the point, and it needs to be organic. And it needs to feel like it's coming from a trustworthy source because in this case we're getting a bunch of like medical scientific information quickly to give us an idea and kind of remind us again what what we already know from Alien as far as the don't don't try to remove the thing forcefully from anyone's face for one thing. And I always thought this is kind of weird detail, but I always thought that the way he holds that clipboard and through, browses through the pages always felt just a little like he was just on top of it right away. I, I know that sounds weird, but it's something about how he picks it up and he looks through it and he's able to read through it all and you're just comfortable with him. And we get that exposition and it feels right coming from him for all the reasons you just stated as well. And it's nice. It's a great it's a great moment. Something that I guess they it's something they felt the need to do for a little exposition, but yeah, it it gets that out of the way and it's a nice breezy scene. People with clipboards always look competent, right? That's like a cliche, but people with clipboards always look like they're in charge. Especially if they're very comfortable with them. It looks like he's been through a million medical records, you know, a million people's charts you now know, before. So it feels it feels right from him. And we end on a suspenseful note with Frost say, Yo Hicks, we got something. And and suddenly our our suspense starts ramping back up after the after the sort of mellow interlude in the medical bay. Uh, we start ramping back up again and realizing we are still, we're in a comfy room with stuff that we know about, but we're still in the middle of a haunted house. And that's what I well, love. I think that- I want to bring this one thing up because uh, this is probably going to be my last my last uh, episode we do at least for this movie. Um, I, I had mentioned it that I had not I was kind of disappointed by this summer of '86 when I was a 14 year old uh, because there was always a Superman two, Empire Strikes Back, Raiders of the Lost Ark, ET, Back to the Future. You know, there was always one film that was the film of that summer, that great film that I can keep going back to and meant a lot to me. And I'm looking back, I have here the like the releases. I mean, I, as I said before, I hated Top Gun. 
I did not buy Top Gun. I know for some people that was their movie. I didn't like it. I thought it was dumb. I thought the flying scenes were great, but I thought it was just dumb movie. And then when you see some of the other films, you know, that like that were letdowns. I mean, Labyrinth, whatever you think of Labyrinth, um, I enjoyed it, but it certainly wasn't a film I went to go see over and over again. Uh, I didn't go see Cobra. <laughs> I mean, there was there were better there were films that summer I remember that were funny. Down and out in Beverly Hills, uh, right? Well, uh, Ruthless People came out. Uh, Back yeah. to School came out. I really dug that. Uh, Ferris Bueller came out then. Um, and there was one other uh, that was really funny that came out that. Um, uh, and 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 later in the year, The Fly came out. Um, but you know, this was the this was the summer of Howard the Duck. You know, this was the summer oh, of Space yeah. Camp. This was the summer of, mm. you know, Big Trouble Little China, which we grew to like. But at the time, it was like, what the hell was that? And um, yeah. and that Cobra was supposed to be the big hit of the summer. And, and uh, nope, nope. And so, you know, if you didn't see Aliens, maybe that was one of the reasons why it just stood out. But you know, if you didn't see Aliens that summer uh, and you weren't a Red Sox or Met fan that summer, um, you know, the best film of that summer was probably either The Fly or Stand By Me. And those came out in mm. late August or sometime in August. And, and and so that was a strange summer where there wasn't the, the you know, the Star Wars film or the Raiders film or the E.T. or the, the film to sort of dominate the summer. And uh, that was, uh, I don't know, and, and I, it, it, it made for, it, you know, I think of that summer as being kind of a, a strange time where there wasn't that wonderful dominating film and partly because i probably wasn't old enough to go see aliens in the theater right it's just who who told stallone after a year where rambo makes 250 million rocky four makes 250 million he, he his movie make half a billion dollars in 1985 who thought that a hard r movie with him fighting an army of slasher serial killers was a good you career that movie was he he was huh. going to make beverly hills cop Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Harder, and they left that project to do Cobra. All right. Well, Sully, that's going to do it for you this week, I guess. You want to just remind everyone one more time uh, where they can find Uh, you on the internet? To uh, Sully Baseball on Twitter, and um, you can follow the podcast and all the video stuff that I'm going to be unveiling over the next bunch of weeks. And uh, hey, this has been an absolute blast. I really, really appreciate you having me on. And you know, I, I gulp because I only like two alien films. Um, and you, and if you're moving on and you're doing some of the ones I don't like, uh, I'd be happy to be a part of it. Just uh, probably not going to be as enthusiastic. Um, Baseball geek, stat freak, alien lover. A good man. Yeah. A man to have in your corner. <laughs> All right, well, you guys, you can find us over at AlienMinute.com, on Instagram at AlienMinutePodcast, or on Twitter at AlienMinutePod. Uh, come over to Tee Public, grab a t-shirt, a sticker, a mug, or anything from one of our many designs that we have over there, alien and aliens themed. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow for minute number 45.